You're listening to The Photography Show. This is episode number 11 for October 31st, 2010, Influence. You know, we've been talking about personal projects. We've, we've talked a little bit about what some other people are doing, you know, contemporary or non-contemporary. And I thought it'd be kind of a cool idea today. We could kind of talk about our influences and, and you know, the, the, the cats and kitties we really dig. But I can't believe mm-hmm. I just said that. Cats and kitties? Man, it's like I might have to get a different that. partner, <laughs> different blog. Yeah, this is, this is off to a rough start. Podcast um, partner. Well, anyway, but, but yeah, but just as far as, like, you know, people were really influenced by and, yeah. you know, a lot of these people, you know, that I, I'm going to mention, you know, or like, you know, we were talking about personal projects and things like mm-hmm. that. They kind of tie in, but, uh, you know, you, you had some as well. You were going to, yeah. Uh, I want to start off, off with uh, just a shout out to Jesus and there my you mom, go. uh, uncle, <laughs> uncle Teddy, uh, <laughs> I'm just Uncle kidding. Remus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, photographers. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Those yeah, influences. Photography podcast. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, here's one we can. But we can. I think we can both expand on the ones that we know of each other's. Sure. Sometimes you know some people that are a little bit more obscure. Um, than I love I do, obscure. Which I yeah. You love to be obscure, and you might want a shirt that says that. But um, <laughs> Diane intentionally oh, Diane Arbus or Deanne Arbus. Deanne, How do you like to pronounce yep. it? Deanne. It's Deanne. Yeah. Okay. Deanne. Um, okay. The people that I'm going to kind of discuss. Or may not be my favorite photographers, like photography style wise, um, but these are people who intrigue me the most. Well, and there, there's something to be said for that. Sometimes you can find inspiration, even though you don't necessarily like somebody's work per se, from an right. aesthetic level or something like that. But but right. it's the concept or who they were about. Yeah, but Dean Arbus is great. Um, so I don't aspire to maybe shoot like Dean Arbus did, but I think that what she did at her time and her story is very intriguing and and, and something that every photographer should know and there's a lot of great stuff out there uh, books uh there's there's films documentary all kinds of stuff on her um and um so we can talk about her just for for a minute she shot medium format most of the time uh and it was uh, when what she's known for famous for is shooting kind of an underworld a dark side of of people even like circus people like freaks yeah. and things like that she was married to a professional commercial photographer alan arbus and um he ran a studio out of their home she helped him uh in the beginning uh, with with his studio most of the time she was like his assistant uh it wasn't until they were divorced later on that she really started experimenting with stuff on her own with the medium format camera uh a lot of that shot with the roloflex right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think yeah, she was a big roly shooter yeah and it just took some really intriguing images that a lot of people were maybe turned off by and other people thought it was brilliant which is a lot of time when you come into great photographers there's always those two sides um that th- you know might think that about your work if it's kind of controversial um but yeah, a, a lot of her work is just super well known i know that and, and it has inspired other things there was that the one picture of the two uh like twins that later on they kind of used the same kind of uh thing in the shining with the two little girls at the end yeah, of the hall in fact that's probably my favorite photo of hers is the is the two girls Right. But there were a lot of photos like that that were just kind of like, wow, where did these people come from? And she would shoot them in her apartment or wherever they were on the street or in dark alleys or whatever. And she mainly um, did a lot. I mean, she did some things that were outside the portrait realm, but that was her thing was kind of freak show portrait kind of style. stuff. Right. And uh, pretty much self-taught. Have you seen the uh, have you seen the film on her? 
first? The 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 movie they made yeah. with um with Robert yeah, Downey. Yeah, it wasn't hair. No fur. Fur. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was classic, man. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It was, a, it was like a, they 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 kind of like loosely based it on her life, and then like really uh, they threw M Night Shyamalan in there. <laughs> and the did. musical hair from the seventies is yes, good. yes, fur. Uh, yeah, was, fair is fur, fair. Boy, we're destined to just jack this today. Fur yeah. is um, you start recording, okay? Uh, yeah, but but fur is a uh, well, it's it's a movie. It has Robert Downey Jr. and Nicole Kidman, and I think they're kind of the saving grace in a lot of ways of the movie because it's it, it's titled an imaginary portrait of Dean Arbus. And actually, after seeing the film, I think it, it it actually in a bad place to start if you don't know anything about Dean Arbus because um, it really. It's it's largely fictional and loosely biographical, and there's some parts of it that are just strange. But um, it, it, Robert Downey Jr. is like this circus freak with some strange you know, syndrome where he grows lots of hair and looks like Chewbacca, and right. there's this weird thing where she shaves him. Anyway, uh, but it's still it's a decent movie, and I, I think the thing with with Deanna, I think there's about ten good shots of hers that I really like. Uh, I think I kind of share your opinion with that, and the rest is like. You know, I've talked about Robert Frank on my other show, and I th- it, it, she's she's similar to him in that she's not about you know this rule of thirds classical composition thing or great lighting or whatever. Uh, but uh, you know, I think she's really was about ten twenty years behind her time. You know, I think she would have fit in really well with a lot of the surrealist people, uh, like the Man Rays or even the Salvador Dali's or people like right. that. Not that she's far out like that, but her subject matter is is a very weird divorce from thing, other things that were going on at that time. But yeah, she's just kind of an intriguing person, and the genre of photography that she went after is, is you know very interesting. Yeah. And um, just the story of her life once again. Once you get to, to kind of know some of these photographers, their their photography. Takes on much more meaning. Uh, to Bit of a because, sad ending on her too. I think she, she battled with depression. I believe. And yeah, she had pretty, uh, you know, some really major mental illness problems, and I don't think that she did a lot of therapy or no, or no, 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 took, no. there were any like drugs subscribed for that kind of thing back then. So she ended up committing suicide. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't so it that is a long ending. ago. I want to say in the eighties, maybe or something like that. Or, yeah, uh huh. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there, there's some books out there on her and her life that feature a, a lot of her uh, photography throughout. Um, yeah, she's definitely somebody. I think for a lot of people, the aesthetic is not going to be what pulls you in. But once you learn a little bit, uh, yeah, that's a great pick. Actually, she's. It's she's almost like uh, great for people who, especially, are into kind of documentary street photography type thing, right? Because uh, that's kind of what she did, but with portraits, and a lot of that was in her home. But it just shows you, um, you can just kind of make pictures out of anything, and and yeah, she's very you know famous, known just for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think along those lines, somebody I'd recommend is Robert Frank, and like I said, I've talked about him on the other show. But uh, Robert Frank, uh, he's his his most known project was done in the fifties. Uh, he's I believe originally from Sweden. Uh, anyway, he won the Hasselblad Award and got this grant to go travel the country in a beat up car and photograph American life. So the Americans is the uh, the project he's most known for. And I've much, seen that. Yeah, much like like uh, Dean Arbus, um, and he's still alive and shooting today. And I love his work, it, but it's it's definitely it, it goes for a feel. Um, it's definitely more along the lines of. Uh, of photojournalism, but not in this beautiful Henri Cartier-Bresson kind of way. I mean, it's 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 rough, but uh, but some wonderful images and and interesting the the stuff he would depict of kind of life in America in the fifties. It's it's not a real glamorous thing at all, um, right? But 
Yeah, a lot, a lot of the photographers back then in the 50s and 60s and 40s and whatever, it, a lot of it was black and white and kind of dark and kind of off the cuff. And, right. um, you know, they were finding their style still and, and everything like that. But, but, yeah, there is a lot of it that's very interesting and that you can, you know, really learn well, from. In, in America, I think it's changed. But, I mean, a lot of the places he went, uh, well, he, he did major cities too. But, I mean, you know, racism was a bigger deal back then. And there were some right. real... You know, now I have the lawnmower, by the way, over on my... This is what happens when we record during the week. (laughs) We can never do... We need a soundproof room, I think, that we need out. God, no kidding. Well, you know, the funny thing is, like, there's no lawn to mow out there. It's like I live in a in a a big loft building, and and the street has, like, a sidewalk and two feet of grass. And they mow every day. With a lawnmower that he pushes up and down the sidewalk. (laughs) Anyway, back to photographers. Okay. Um, we'll just we'll just work through it here. Uh, but anyway, uh, Dean Arbus, Robert Frank, who else? Who else were you gonna? Um, I wanted to bring up Elliot Erwitt. Oh, uh, ah, yep. Once again, well, I, I I do like his photography. Oh no, I meant that in a good way. Yeah, no, I do. He's one that um, ever since I discovered uh, the first book I picked up of his was not even a book I would ever pick up, except that I like dogs. And um, he has a whole book called Dogs uh, that is like a thousand pages or something because he shot them his entire life. But he shot them not like in a portrait studio style type way. He just shot them like walking down the street uh, every time he would see one with its owner. Sometimes they looked alike or sometimes they were doing something odd or funny yeah. or whatever. Anyway, over, the, over the, his entire life, he put together a book just called dogs and it's all these funny dogs and interesting uh black and white pictures and that was the first i saw of him and so then i started like looking into him more into his into his portrait stuff and stuff that he did commercially and um he's just someone who has a um funny personality and it really shows up in his work no matter if he's shooting uh people or animals or, or anything i mean mostly he shot people um, but yeah, it's just black and white. It's simple. And he would find the unusual kind of in everyday life. Uh, he finally became or was adopted into becoming a Magnum photographer, which is very elite. Um, the most elite probably you can be as a photographer and is, is that to this day. And um, I've seen him interviewed in several documentaries and things like this. And he just has a he, – he, he's, he's a guy that you'll see a lot of quotes that he has out there because he's funny. Um, and you know he's got a quick sense of humor, and um, with with the quotes, and but it just also shows up in his photography. Yeah, I, one of the things I love about Elliot, well, a lot of things I love, but uh, you know, I think like you were saying a minute ago, the whole thing with the personal project that just went on forever with the with the with the dogs. But you know, it's kind of like you you meant your pick. I think it was last week or the week before was the Ani Leibowitz uh, uh-huh. documentary. And one of the things I love about her, and I see this with Robert Frank too, is is they just lived photography. There's really not a big division between what they do uh, stylistically in a commercial realm versus a fine art realm versus what they do with their families and the snapshots. And I think that's really important for anybody, whether you want to make a career out of it or whether you just want to be a good shooter. Just let it be part of your life. And mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting too. I, you know, I, well, we can mention Annie Leibovitz. Um, she's she's a whole podcast, but she was my next person on my list. That's funny, and I know that we mentioned her last week. It's a but great there was, segue. There's a few more details that we can 
uh, tell about her life and, and everything. I think. Oh yeah. Well, and, and you know, when I say by living photography, there's a book that she released. Oh, I guess two years ago now. It's called A Photographer's Life, and the mm-hmm. movie was based around that. And she had a long-term relationship with uh, Susan Sontag, and Susan died of cancer, and it was obviously a huge emotional impact on uh, on Leibowitz, and I mean for obvious reasons. And I think the first time I saw the book, I didn't know whether I should be uncomfortable or not looking. I mean, literally, she was with her when she died in the hospital, and she photographed her in the hospital her. dying. Yeah, of and. Cancer. And having there's some shots of her just on her deathbed, and it's yeah. But what's what's cool though is first of all, it's a real you know ballsy thing and courageous to share that with the world. But I don't think you know with Ani. I mean, I don't know her, but I don't think she draws a distinction. I think that's just part of who she is, and right. I, I love it. I think that's just awesome. You know, well, wasn't that the, the name of the documentary? I think was Life Through a Lens. And so, um, yeah. or one of her latest ones was Life Through a Lens, and that's because that's the way she's lived her entire life, and that's what people have become accustomed who are around her all the time to, it, even if they're on their deathbed, it's not offensive to them because that's how she sees life. Uh, yeah, she just captures stuff. The time. Yeah. And so it's not like, can I, you know, um, can I get pictures of you dying because I'm going to exploit you later? This is like how I see you, and this is important to me, and I want to document this for all time. And so that's what she shoots. But it's like that all the time with her kids. She has kids now that she adopted when her father was dying. It was the same thing her whole life. Um, But then she's had this whole other side with the Rolling Stone magazine, traveling with the Rolling Stone, shooting John Lennon and and Yoko Ono uh, and some of their famous pictures even hours before he was uh, killed. Yeah, in fact, stop there because I'm glad you mentioned that. There's there's a shot of of, uh, John and Yoko, and it's a famous shot. It was a cover of Rolling Stone. And Yono's lying down. Er, Yoko is lying down, and John is on top of him. He's naked. You just see his mm-hmm. back. And that was shot literally, like, I think three hours before he was killed. I didn't know right. that for years. And then when uh-huh. I found I mean, it's just like, whoa, you know? Right. And one of the most famous photographs of all time, not because he was killed a few hours later, just because the photograph alone, whether he had been shot or not, it's was a great photo. <laughs> yeah. super intriguing. Right. And, um, yeah, but then that added to it was just unreal. Yeah. And, and she captured him um, – she has a lot of photography of John Lennon, um, the, the time that she spent with him, I guess, that day or, or other times before, whatever, him just being really casual and sitting around in chairs and smoking cigarettes and, um, and, and things like that. So she just kind of captured him in his you know, natural element, and she tried to do that with, with most people, I think, get to know them, become their friend, and they said they would finally do, the camera would just kind of disappear, and then that's when she could get her, her best pictures. And well, I think I, – I believe it – I think we're talking about the same documentary, Thrillings, where there's an interview with Keith Richards, and he's talking about her. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and one of the things he says in there is they had other photographers with them before, and usually they they haze them into leaving. And right. she said they never minded, or he said they never minded Ani being around because she was such a good friend, and the camera was really transparent because it was just a part of who she was, and they forgot about it, you know. Right. And they were able to act natural. She was able to get those shots. And I think that's a huge lesson for for photographers who do that type of work to understand. Right. You have yeah. to really blend in with who, whatever it is that you're doing. You have to become a chameleon of sorts. Yeah. And that's something that's maybe hard harder to learn for for some people than others. Sure. Um, if you're kind of an extroverted person and you're good at that anyway, kind of blending into a crowd, kind of instantly striking up a conversation, kind of instantly becoming someone's friend. I think that that is 
a very helpful as a photographer. If it's not something that you're that's that's already a part of you, maybe it's something you can learn or become better at. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really helps whether you're doing well, just any kind of shoot that involves people. You got to become kind of one with them, and you got to put them at ease eat, all the way up to the models and your clients and and, and everyone else. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then and then you get better. You get better work. I think one of my favorite striking examples of just that natural you know thing it plays it's in the same documentary where there's a scene where she's and they're great shots too where she's photographing mikhail barishnikov and he's mm-hmm. just practicing dance and he's dancing and she's just sitting there they're all shot in black and white and the photos are like just a conversation between the two it's so right. natural and so i mean it's it's just brilliant you know and the end result is they're they're amazing photographs and it's just a very simple he's in a studio you got nice window lighting coming in from the side he's already very comfortable with her because they've known each other for years and she's shot with him before so he she just asked him to dance around while she sits on the floor you know and and takes pictures of him like you said and and gets these and gets these great shots and that's all kind of right there while they're filming the documentary and so you kind of just see how naturally she she goes about her photography. Well, but I also that, like it because he. I mean, he happens to be a celebrity, and she is sort of too. She uh, shoots a lot of celebrities now, yeah, but or, that just happens to be what she. I mean, she could shoot no names, and it'd right. still be brilliant, you know, because mm-hmm. of that conversation kind of relationship between her and the subject. And uh, I think she has a way of putting people at ease and becoming their friend and becoming non-threatening, oh, yeah. which is something we can all work at more and more. Um, I like to be threatening, though. Yeah. Well, you know, it just I, I, uh, <laughs> when I go on portrait shoots, most almost every time, I'm most clients, except for maybe some children, will say, "Oh, I hate having my picture taken," mm-hmm. like right off the bat. Yep. I think most people feel that way because it's not something you do every day. It's not even something you maybe do every year. No. And so for most people. do it. A lot of people, it's like getting a flu shot. It's like uncomfortable. They don't really want to do it. It's going to be short and sweet, hopefully. Let's get it over with, well, whatever. it's hard to look at pictures of yourself, too. You know? Yeah, it is hard. And it's hard to pose for pictures. It's hard to put on a, a natural smile or pose in a certain way and feel unnatural or uncomfortable or whatever. So I think it's really best to put people at ease and then just try to capture them um, off guard in kind of well, natural. Well, you also element. have like the Olin Mills syndrome, God forbid. Right. And, uh, you know, where I think people have posed for Olin Mills shots. And, you know, Olin Mills, it's a corporation, it's a factory, and they have guidebooks on how to make a great photo for their photographer. Put your hand right up under your chin. <laughs> well, it's it, it's also funny. My this was years ago. We were there was a church directory that a bunch of us were having photos made for, and there was another photographer, my friend Ray Hand, and and he said, you know, he said we were just getting the biggest kick out. He said I would never handle a model like product where you're tilting right. their head with your hand, and you know, it's like golly, yeah. And I looked like a cigar store Indian in the final. <laughs> looked like I was stuffed. I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, how to and how to not uh, go about shooting people. Yeah. But, you know, that's interesting. We both mentioned, uh, I think of Deanne Arbus again, but we both mentioned Annie Leibovitz because I think she's like the textbook example. Plus, she was like, I mean, still is a Mozart type. I mean, she right, just her, like. Her, her, you know, she, she's alive and well today and still shooting. Well, she, everything um, she does time. is brilliant, you know. And it really is. And it, and I think what you what her what is really great about what she does is she's wonderful with lighting for one, whether it's natural lighting or whether she's on a huge set with tons of lighting. She seems to handle that very well, and you can see that in these documentaries. Right. So she has beautiful light that's very dramatic in all of her photos, and then her sets 
and her ideas are usually it's either an idea like a Whoopi Goldberg in the in the tub of milk mm-hmm. uh, or uh, or or her sets which are just super elaborate with uh, tons of costumes and and then the room is just full of props and and all these things and this is one of the things that's kind of led to her downfall which is her financial situation mm. um and overspending is that a lot of times she would go out of pocket for us for something when uh vanity fair or vogue or whoever it was would say no maybe that's over the budget or whatever she would go out of pocket not caring what was in the bank or whatever mm. and um kind of led to her having some financial troubles here recently but um you know not all artists are wonderful with money um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it, that's it, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not trying to bash her at all, but but I'm not at all surprised. You know, I mean, right. she's she's very. Uh, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like she's stupid, but but she's. I think she's so natural at what she does. It's not overthought. She doesn't overanalyze things, and that's how she kind of goes through life. And you know, I'm I'm kind of the same way. If there's something that'll make the shot better and it needs to come out of my pocket, I'll do it. Right. Uh, some of us have a lock that shuts that off at some point and i don't think she does and right we don't even have the capability of going into millions of dollars uh but uh, she no. did and, and and so she would even i think take out some loans uh you know for millions and millions of dollars to get things done and think well you know my career is going so well I'll, that's easily yeah be able to pay back and then maybe it's not and then you know you're in trouble freelancing um, careers go up and down you know yeah so don't ever do that but anyway you know (laughs) she's known for for the gotten milk campaign which was huge yeah uh for stuff like even like gap but like vanity fair and vogue and 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 then even stuff like if you watch the sopranos and or or any of these kind of shows and you would see the photography that they would have for their dvd cases and things like this they would be such elaborate sets and so beautifully lit and dramatic and things and um so yeah she shot a lot of a lot of stuff like that like for the sopranos and other series that are um, just just great work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, who else you got? Uh, Ani Leibovitz. Well, you know, we were talking about. I mean, we we kind of came real recent, real fast. I mean, a lot of the the people that I look at, it's interesting because I'll jump up to some contemporaries, but it's going to go back to the past. I know that sounds weird, but no, that's but, fine. But let me hear me Do out. It. There's uh, no rules. A couple, a couple of the people. <laughs> what'd you say? There are no rules on this show. That's true. <laughs> Except the rules they lay out for us in comments. Uh, no, no. But uh, one of the photographers that I'm uh, – well, there's probably about five or six people that are shooting today that are doing fine artwork that I think are just uh, – they just blow me away every time. And one of my favorites is a Japanese photographer. His name is Hiroshi Sujimoto. And Sujimoto, if you look on his website – and we'll put, <coughs> we'll put links in the show notes. But uh, he has a project that um, – <coughs> pardon me dying again uh he's probably it's not one of the bigger ones he's known for but it's one of my favorites where he's actually taken uh he he collects negatives from galleries and museums sometimes and and people who are trying to get rid of stuff uh and he's collected a bunch of fox talbot negatives and fox talbot if you don't know he was one of the very first photographers it's it's a little bit controversial in who actually was the first one to develop photography but but fox was one of uh two people that were that were kind of in that running um and i absolutely love his work it's weird it's kind of out there there's like thatch huts and there's photograms of lace and leaves and just quirky stuff and mm-hmm. to be one of the first and be that out there I think it's just brilliant British photographer and anyway uh, Sujimoto uh, has a lot of these glass negatives and things that, that Talbot had produced in the uh, late 1800s and, and 
what's kind of cool is he he's done these prints with them because a lot of them were never printed and so you know what his whole kind of theory about it is what if fox talbot were alive today what would he be doing as far as the technology that is available to him now and so anyway so he's done a series of prints based around those and, and they're just simply brilliant uh Sujimoto's done some other things too he's probably most famously known for these beautiful seascapes that he does it's very um if you're into the japanese design aesthetic at all it's very minimal it's it's just you know a lot just subtle light and just beautiful um mm-hmm. and these things are huge there's not a lot of available books on Sujimoto, and i hope that changes in the next few years but um but does he have his own website? Oh yeah, check out the website. Online? Yeah, he uh, one of his first projects. And in fact, I think if you look on YouTube, I want to say Art Twenty One or somebody did a documentary video on him. Uh, one of his first projects that kind of brought him to light was he did a series of portraits, and the whole thing was kind of taking uh, you know kind of this. Um, Oh, romantic kind of classical old masters kind of approach to shooting these portraits like if Vermeer or Raphael or somebody who had done them. And so they're portraits of people like King Henry VIII, Anne Boleyn, you know, these these long gone celebrity celebrity historical figures and but they're shot they're wax figures that are shot and they're just simply beautiful. They look like black and white versions of old paintings and uh yeah. Yeah, he's he's a genius. I'm gonna have to definitely check that out because I'm not as familiar with him. I may have seen some of his work, especially some of the landscape stuff. Because I'm yeah. really into that. I'm sure I've seen it and, and didn't know who exactly it was. Well, I think uh, one of the other things he's really well known for is he did a series of like their their urban landscape things. So it'd be like a building. So it, usually mm-hmm. well known buildings. Um, the Chrysler building, something like that. And and what he does is he did them on a large format and rigged it up so he could like go to double infinity. And which is impossible obviously. to infinity and beyond infinity and beyond, but they're blurry. So they're these weird blurred out. Uh, there's some stuff he did of Richard Serra's sculptures that, and he's well known for those. They can look like a lot of blurry photos, but I, I think they're amazing. I think, he's yeah. just you know, he just, brilliant. he likes to push the limits. Well, I think it's really cool about what you're saying about him is that he likes to go back and take what someone else has done. Who's gone now and almost recreate it as if they were alive still today. I mean, that's something that you're not, you're not seeing anyone else do. Yeah. Well, um, and I, I guess what I'm I'm saying is is like you know being a photographer in this day and age there's such this commercial craze with selling you equipment that i mean i say this all the time i'm a big mm-hmm. picture of this and it's like you know no it, it's not what's bleeding or cutting edge it's like you have you have that and you have this vast sea of technology and all these other things that are available to you at your disposal you know yeah there's no reason why a photographer can't make salt prints or album prints or shoot colliden or you know like all right, these well, processes because, you know going. nobody else is or very few are no. so that puts you in a in a league of your own really right off the bat well one they're hard to do i mean well right. anything is hard to do they're 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 doable they're just you know you got to go find the chemicals and do it yourself and canon and nikon aren't promoting it so <laughs> it doesn't yeah. get a lot of it but you're right that's an easy way just to start doing something unique and learn a lot you know the good side is if you have the time and you're a patient person that things can be cheaper than the whole digital revolution uh equipment um uh, and it's hands-on it it feels more artistic if if you're you know kind of almost a carpenter type person uh artist who wants to have their hands on things it can feel really good to to dip these prints into solutions and pull them out and hang them up and watch them dry and put a light on them and and watch them come to life there's a whole process there that is um, a really neat feel 
Um, yeah, you, you get know. off the computer too. Which yeah, is and you get off nice. the computer and, and yeah, and put yourself in the dark for hours. Make something and, with your hands. <laughs> yeah, well, and no, but it, pass there, out there, there is this much more uh, artistic feeling to a hands-on approach type of thing, like you would have with with woodwork or weaving or um, I don't no know, any, you know, anything like that. I know you're big into weaving, so I just wanted to bring that up. Basket weaving, specifically. <laughs> Basket uh, weaving. You know, I think since we're mentioning people were influenced and inspired by, there's one guy that I'll mention. That I was talking to you about earlier uh who i think really personifies somebody who's using uh, all these available techniques at his disposal and it's a photographer he's a british photographer named nick brandt b-r-a-n-d-t and nick brandt um kind of a very trippy career he's had he's also uh majored in film in college and went into video production in the late 80s early 90s and produced videos for mtv for people like michael jackson and you know the last person you expect to go into fine art black and white photography uh but it was actually uh, on one of his trips to Africa where they were doing, I don't know what video it was, but some Michael Jackson video. Uh, and he kind of fell in love with the possibilities of shooting these animals and doing portraits of them in their environment and not using a telephoto, getting up close. And he has this brilliant... Uh, he, he's shooting for books, and so there's a trilogy of books, uh, and the first two are out, and I think he's shooting the third one right now. And you know, his feeling is is just the way that the political atmosphere works in Africa and the way that society is working that a lot of these things are going to be gone one day. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe not animals extinct, but being able to capture them in this habitat, and it's simply just stunning work. And what he does is he shoots on a uh, Pentax six by seven medium format camera. And he, he stacks like he uses neutral density filters and red filters and all that stuff. So he's shooting film and you get these just they're not infrared, but they're these real dark skies, like almost black. And then this beautiful picture of this elephant drinking from a stream like or something. Uh, Ansel Adams skies. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, definitely. So really make the element pop. Definitely, and and just these awesome African textures on you know this leathery elephant skin, and you know, and the and the, the the portraits are just simply fantastic. And he's shooting like wild lions and stuff too, and he does not use telephoto lenses, so I don't know how he's getting up that close without getting injured. But he, um, he's gone now. Um, yeah, he hasn't come back. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what's interesting though is his printing technique at the end, and he is a huge proponent of using Photoshop. So what he does is he scans his negatives, uh, brings them in. He came from a traditional darkroom background and he likes the possibilities that you can do things in photoshop that you could uh, would be very very difficult to create like you know burning and dodging on macro levels and stuff in the darkroom so he'll come in he'll use photoshop as a tool to manipulate this and then he does these books but he also does fine art prints and what he'll do is actually print these out to transparencies thus making a new negative and then he goes back into the darkroom and prints these out on on paper using platinum and palladium process and so platinum and palladium, if you're not familiar with it, it's, it's probably the highest quality of black and white image you could possibly print. It, it, it's, inkjet is not really up there. You can get beautiful prints on inkjet. But um, anyway, so what he does is he actually starts with film, comes into the electronic world, and then goes back out and does his darkroom stuff. And, of course, the books are printed electronically and things like that. But I think that's a great example of somebody who's really using all of the available techniques that you have to yeah. create something very unique. You know? And I think you should always keep you know an open mind about you know we have all these people that are just like i'm a film guy and i i don't want 
anything to do with this whole digital thing. And uh, then you have the digital people who are like, I don't understand these film people. That's a thing of the past or whatever. I don't understand why you just can't keep an open mind and, and be an artist and combine all of these things that we have available to us, whether oh, they no be question. film or digital, uh, like he's doing. You know, he's shooting in film, but then scanning and going to digital because you can come up with things that, that no one else is if they're, if, if, if they're just closed down to, to one side or the other. Um, well, you know, one of the, I, I'll go ahead and admit this. One of the projects I'm working on, and I'll, I'll do a podcast on once I get it worked out, but um, uh, the Nick Brandt thing, and there's been some other people, and I've always been inspired by this. And, you know, we've talked about the iPhone thing a lot and right. the fact that it's such a convenient camera. You've always got it with you, especially for street stuff. And I love darkroom printing because I just love the look of real black and white prints uh, when they're done on fine papers and stuff All like right, that. Beautiful. And so I, I've tried to get into the Nick Brandt thing, and I've been working with my darkroom and actually trying to get my iPhone images printed out on traditional process. How cool. Which is a little whack, but um, and the the hardest thing about it is you can't just uh, go into Photoshop, invert it, and then print the negative because what the computer and the inkjet uh, printer, you know, the dynamic range, like where the blacks sit and where the lights sit, are different uh-huh. than where they sit in the darkroom. So it, it's a matter of adjusting so you know how to create a curves layer, and you can be the same every time because you can get a tremendous amount of consistency doing this. Um, but you need to be able to match the curves of what the paper can take, and I've, I'm close, but I'm not quite there. I'm still doing muddy highlights and stuff, and so it's sure. not quite there. Um, but anyway, the, the process is really interesting because what you do is you actually print these to transparencies. And it's not expensive. You can do them on a household inkjet printer. I go up to 8 by 10 because what you don't want to do is enlarge them. Uh, when you enlarge, you have the same problem that you have when you just try and enlarge it in Photoshop. It'll You see pixels and things like that. You lose quality. Yeah, but if you have enough data and you have enough megapixels in your phone camera, um, you, you make a contact sheet. So you don't use the enlarger. You're just making contact prints out of these. You can still do burning and dodging if you want. But but the whole point is that you can do all that in Photoshop and then print them out very easily. Once you have that contact sheet, can you go larger from there? Uh, well, that's the problem. Yeah, probably a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's almost like a moot point because you don't have to use the enlarger. I can make transparencies that are 16 by 20 and do contact prints out of those if I want. Okay. So you almost don't need to enlarge them. Um, right. No, that's very, that's large there. enough already. But you don't have to stay as small as four by four or whatever the megapixels no, uh-uh. are that you're shooting it at. No, and no, I've been making mine at eight by ten, and and simply because that's about as big as I can go with my printer in my darkroom. Um, right. But uh, if I got a different printer, you could do eleven by fourteen or even sixteen by twenty and up. And yeah. it's a, it's an interesting process. And it's it, like I said, I'm not ready to report fully on it because I haven't totally figured it out. But uh, no, that sounds super cool. I mean, I don't hear of a lot of people doing that. You're doing the reverse of what like this guy Nick Brandt's doing. Yeah. Uh, starting off with the digital image and then going into the darkroom. That's I sure. mean, that's really cool and kind of getting the best of both worlds. You could shoot on a DSLR. I, I want to do it specifically for the iPhone. I want to be able to shoot on my iPhone and get really interesting prints out of them. But uh, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just kind of a goofy thing that I'm working on. But uh, that is I'll, cool. Yeah, yeah I'll report back updated and, and show us the final result once you master it and write a book on it. Yeah, right now it's a lot of back and forth. Print a transparency, go in the darkroom, test it. Okay, <laughs> go back do another. Well, one. yeah, and you know, do, doing something like that might win a lot more respect for all these people out there who are kind of the uh, iPhone or, or digital phone uh, sure. camera bashers. If you were to take it into a film realm afterwards and say, "Hey, look, the final outcome can be like this or whatever," then yeah. all of a sudden they might be like, "Hmm." Well, okay. and it, again, it's making things with your hands, and I spend all dang day on a computer. And if right. you don't do photography or video for a living, you probably might not share that that uh, no, desire definitely. to get away from that that I do. But um, 
But anyway. Right. When you do something for a living, uh, it's always different than when you do something for a hobby. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, like even I have to separate my commercial photography side of myself from my artistic shooting on the weekends uh, type of, of of stuff that I do. Um, and I try to do that as much as possible. I try How much to do you think of that as different, though? I mean, oh, it's way different. Your it's subject matter different. is definitely different, but you're still you. I'm still me, and I'm still trying to. I'm still tr- with my commercial stuff. I'm still having fun. I'm still trying to make it as fun as I can. I'm still trying to make it as artistic as I can. It's just a lot of time there are limitations because the client wants certain things, and the clients put limitations on certain things, and it has a certain look that they want. So there's limitations on things. But that's okay because it pushes you um, a lot of times to become right. better. Because um, a client will ask me to do stuff, um, uh, you know, because I'm 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 new to commercial professional photography. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll get requests all the time that's something that I don't have maybe uh, – it's not my expertise as of right now. It's, it's not something I've done a lot of. So I, it's, it's scary the first time that I'll go in there and do the, a certain type of photography. But, but it's good because it pushes me, and then the next time it's easier. It's like public speaking. Right. Scary as hell the first time, second time a little easier, third time a little better, pretty senior, sure. but whatever. It can be the same way with commercial photography. But you still have to be out there all the time, uh, I think, shooting on the side. I, I take my camera everywhere. I go on the weekend so that I can do my thing, whether it's shooting the fair or uh, just my, my family or, or nature or whatever. I'm trying to always keep that artistic edge going because I don't want to ever just become uh, someone who's just shooting at, for a paycheck and for work. Well, I think Elliot Erwitt and Nani Leibowitz would both agree with something like that, too. I mean, yeah, oh, you yeah. do have – you shoot your personal projects because there are no restrictions, and you're trying to get better and, you know, do all that so that it affects your client work probably down the line, you know. Oh, yeah. They both – yeah, they both help each other. The, the client work helps your personal stuff, and your personal projects helps your client work. So yeah. to do both all the time I think is great. Um, you know, interesting, too, because those two photographers, they're like our linchpin people today and Nick Brandt in a way, because it's like, you know, we were going to talk about, um, you know, where technology is headed and things like this. And if you look at uh, we were talking about Elliot Irwin was heading up Magnum at one point. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with Magnum, Magnum was started, I think, in the 50s. I'm yeah, not certain back. on that. Yeah. Uh, basically, it was it's it's a, um, a conglomeration of photographers who basically they went to, I mean, they, they got work for each other. You know, they, they kind of bound together, started this group called Magnum. Uh, just about everybody who's been in Magnum has been world famous. You don't just audition. I mean, I think you have to be asked. Uh, no, you almost have to be a famous photographer who asks yeah, you a, do. Uh, an apprentice to become a Magnum photographer. So you have to be in the know and yeah. in around the right people to be to become a magnum photographer oh and their their lineup is include everybody from Bresson to uh robert kappa to elliot Irwitt to um uh i mean gosh you name it the who's who in photojournalism and right go through a, go through a famous photo book and and a lot of them are magnum photographers yeah and today they sell a lot of those old photos that they own as stock photography but they all s- still do photojournalism for various media outlets but what's interesting is i think a technology thing that's changing today, and I know this is a little controversial because there's a lot of people who just don't want to go there, but the fact that uh, DSLRs can shoot video now is just 
it's unbelievable. It's opening up a whole new thing that maybe I think is going to be the future of photojournalism. Definitely. Oh yeah. And real quick, uh, before we go right into that, I want to say with the Magnum, there's a new website out there that we may have mentioned before called Magnum in motion and it's not video, but they've taken its slideshows of Magnum photographers. And a lot of them are, are recent, uh, new Magnum photographers who are doing documentary stuff all over the world. And it'll be a slideshow kind of with a Ken Burns effect where you're zooming in and out of the photo put to music or sound that they recorded while they were shooting and uh, yeah, has narration time, at times has narration yeah. voiceover and stuff like that it's they're they're really cool and they're yeah they if are you're ever kind of stuck in a place where you're just like kind of feeling down and out about photography you don't know where to go next nothing seems interesting watch some of these and i'm always usually just like totally inspired again to go out there and start shooting whatever because they're they're like that they're totally inspiring stuff and um I'll definitely yeah. put a link in that, the show. That's notes. a cool. That's a, yeah. Talking about taking something that was once just magnum photography, just stills being shown, now has been taken into the digital age uh, and into this slideshow type thing where magnum in motion. You can watch all these great videos with sound and music and narration and all this kind of thing. But um, yeah, but we definitely wanted to discuss going into the to the digital age now. And, and and video being on uh, DSLR cameras and how far that's come now that these cameras are like uh, inexpensive, uh, they're, they're HD, uh, 1080p, um, great quality, that this is kind of changing the whole ballgame as we speak. Yeah, well, there's one other element to it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what you just said is very important. But there's another element, too, is the, the ability to have video on the web now has become huge for publishers, uh, Connie Nast and people like that. If you look at CNN's latest redesign, it's a very video-intensive website now. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that hadn't always been possible. Back in the 50s and 60s, there was no way to distribute video other than news channels on television. There wasn't an easy way just to do documentary stuff. And that has changed with the Internet, and consequently I believe that publishers are having problems with their numbers because people are getting their news off the web. So... Uh, you know, from the the stories that I've heard is that that Condé Nast and CNN and all these people are really looking for reporters who can shoot video in the field too. So you combine that with the, what you were just saying about the fact that you have DSLRs now. You don't have to take a second camera. Um, they're very inexpensive, relatively speaking. Um, you can interchange lenses on them just like you do photography, and right. you can go back and forth between shooting video and stills. And mm-hmm. It's amazing. Now, I think the controversy in this is there are a lot of people who feel like, okay, photography is photography, and I agree with that totally. Film is a totally different medium, and it's a different skill set and different things Mm -hmm. that you learn doing that. The composition carries over, but you have this time element and this motion element that you have to deal with as well. So I don't think that the DSLRs are going to go video and ever replace still photography. That won't ever happen, I guarantee you. but it is an additional tool that if you choose to go that route, it is available to you. Um, right. It's great for us because we're artists and we love both. Absolutely. A lot of people love both video and still photography. And there are certain projects that lend themselves to both. I recently went to South Carolina and shot a musician friend of mine who was recording an album. And I was mainly just going to go there and shoot stills of the whole recording process over three days. Um, and I did that. And I mainly shot in black and white and things like that are converted it to black and white or sepia tone later on or whatever but while i was there my camera 
um, can also shoot video um, HD, and so I wanted to, I wanted to do something with that because uh, he's playing all this great music, and I can't capture that in a still. And I wanted to put so- together something later on, like a trailer that right. he could use to promote the album. Uh, so in between, well, I'd be shooting stills. I'd flip over to video mode, shoot live video, and I was amazed by how how steel and stable it was, even with me hand holding it. And um, what great looking shots I could get with the video by popping on a wide angle lens that I was shooting with the stills with or, or popping on a 50 millimeter uh, 1.8 shallow depth of field type lens mm-hmm. and getting really close in on the guitar strings or his face or, you know, taking it in and out from from a blur to, to sharp. Uh, just some great effects that you couldn't get. Uh, you know, even a, a year or two ago without buying really expensive equipment is available there on my camera and then pop, you know, boom, I'm right back into the still mode shooting stills again. Yeah. And when I came back, I was able to, I was able to have both, um, for, for me, for my portfolio and, and for him when he, and he was thrilled. So, um, I know you've done the same kind of thing with some of your projects where you're kind of switching back and forth and it's, it's the best of both worlds. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it really is convenient because a lot of times the work that I do at the museum is like that. Um, you know, we'll be shooting a documentary on something or someone, or we'll have an interview we're doing, and you can switch back and forth, especially if we have a press preview or something where I'm doing both. Um, it, it, it's it's amazing where the technology is going. What's interesting is, and I've never really, I mean, I am interested in film. I mean, it's something that I like to do. And it's interesting because, like, all of a sudden, I think there's a tension that's created because you have people who have been dedicated film producers for years and years and years, and that's the way Hollywood works. That's the way the news works. And all of a sudden, they're including this technology for photographers to use, and you have a whole generation of photographers who all of a sudden decide they're into film. And I don't think that they should be competing because I don't think that's going to happen. I think people that that have talent and they develop that are going to do what they're going to do. But just because mm-hmm. everybody has a camera doesn't mean that they're all of a sudden they're going to be making movies. I mean, that's not, you know what I mean? They're not going to be replacing Hollywood with it anytime soon. No, no, it's a whole different realm, but it is interesting though, because I have friends that, that are on the film side and they're all of a sudden coming around and becoming very interested because of the price point on DSLRs, mm-hmm. as well as the fact you can interchange lenses. You have a full frame sensor size. You can play with depth of field. Uh, and you're starting to see this come into the commercial realm now. I mean, it, the season finale last year on house was shot with five D's, you know? Yeah. Um, and, it's cool. It's low light. The one thing that bothers me a little bit is is everybody immediately cranks the aperture wide open and goes for this real shallow depth of fields because it's blurry motion and ooh, cool. Right. And I, I think that's getting real tired all of a sudden. And that's the one thing is the house finale was real blurry. And uh, Yeah, that can kind of – if there's too much of that, it can kind of make you dizzy or, or nauseated. Effect, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you want to experiment with a lot of different effects. Like when I had my wide angle on there a lot, it was kind of sharp throughout, like if I was shooting architecture. So it, it it, it was sharp throughout the shot, but it was really wide angle, so you right. got kind of distorted uh, views and things like that. But uh, you're just able to use all these different lenses um, that and get the effects that those lenses would give you, whether you know they're it's, it's a telephoto or it's a wide angle or it's a shallow depth of field or or whatever it is. Uh, even you could do macro stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, you can. Um, it's a very versatile setup. You could even do um, lens baby stuff if you're into that. You know. Yeah. Um, it it really does really open up a new world. Sorry, uh, that could really make you sick. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, like I said, anything. I mean, I don't hate this the effect. This entire film was shot with a lens, baby. Well, and like I said, I don't hate the effect, but I, I hate overuse of any effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When things catch on, they kind of it goes nuts for a while. Well, you that's see that the sign of just almost everything that's new. 
that's the sign of amateur work anyway is just to stick to one thing because it has a neat look and and you just need to have versatility to what you're doing and and uh Anyway, but all that to say, but I'm not bashing the cameras. I think they're phenomenal, and I think the price no, point's amazing. it's a great new tool that's been added to, to our, the arsenal that we already had. It's just one more thing that's that's great for us. It's not going to change what the film industry does or anything like that. If anything, they might be able to use it to uh, you know, do some things that they weren't doing before. Uh, I've seen them attaching a lot of these cameras to small airplanes and to – into things before where they didn't want to risk uh, losing their camera and now you know the biggest risk for a, a big movie set or whatever if they if they crash the plane and they lose a thousand dollar camera oh well um, <laughs> they can Whoops. do things like this with it you know now you know attach it to the bottom of a bicycle or, or whatever because um, it's small and lightweight and it's, it's just you know it's they're bit, it's, they're able to do new things that they weren't able well, to do before. and these cameras do have shortcomings i don't mean to not acknowledge that i mean they you know if you're trying to do a pan shot where you're panning across the scene you start getting a jello effect i mean there's <clears throat> they're not perfect but it's, right. it's it's where things are going that i think is fascinating about it you know um yeah they just released this new nikon d7000 that i had talked to you a little bit about before the show this i hope is my next camera it's going to kind of replace the d90 uh the d90 is only like a 12 megapixel camera right now for nikon but this d7000 is a 16.2 megapixel so that's a huge jump already uh it can go up to 6400 um iso it's the 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 shell is built out of the same materials as uh, their pro quality line of cameras so that's a big change from their more plasticky lightweight cameras and on top of that it's got the 1080p hd yeah at at the risk of sounding annoying i'm going to hang up this call and restart it skype is making you sound funky okay all right all right hang on sorry folks we're we're keeping this live here let's uh let's keep wade going here we'll we'll dial him back and uh (laughs) the fun never ends Okay. All right. Much better. Wonder what that is. I don't know. It's Skype is it, what it, it is. It drops me at some point. The audio. It's well, you sound ten times better. It's Skype okay, is cool. a rare bird, man. It's uh, anyway. Right back in with the D seven thousand. Yeah. What we were saying is, is you were saying that the uh, you know you're shooting a D ninety. This will probably be the the successor to the D ninety. Okay. That's when it started sounding weird. Yeah. And the video okay. that it shoots, ten eighty p. Yeah. The, the, the Nikon D seven thousand is something that's kind of replacing the D ninety. And uh, it's 16.2 megapixel. It's it's pro quality. The the what it's built out of. It's like the pro line of cameras rather than their more plastic lightweight cameras. Um, it shoots all the way up to 6400 ISO. Whether you're shooting stills or shooting uh, video, which is very cool because you can shoot in very very low light and still get get great quality. And still there's there's noise reduction within the camera, and then noise reduction again uh, with whatever video or um, Photoshop type program that you're. You, you're in but the video itself 1080p hd and um you know the only limitations that i kind of ran into were sometimes when you were shooting at the highest resolution there would be a cutoff time right. on some of these cameras like we're only gonna let you shoot five minutes at a time and then you're yeah, gonna have to there is stop that. and start again and that kind of thing or whatever so that's unlike video cameras or whatever and then the storage uh, when you're shooting that high uh it can start filling up your memory chip pretty quick uh <laughs> yeah so you're, you're, over. 
if you're shooting a lot of video, uh, you're, you're buying a lot larger memory uh, chips to, to put in your camera. And then that later on is just, you know, more of a process and everything. But all that aside, it's a great thing. And this on the Nikon side is going to be a, a great camera because it's going to be, a, a, I think, around $1,000 for just the camera itself without any kind of lens or whatever. That's amazing. So you can't beat that. You can't beat that for uh, a still camera with video quality that's this great. And I know there's great stuff on the Canon side. I'm just not as familiar. Right, right. Well, you know, I think it's one of the, you sent me a link earlier and we were talking about there's there's two places I would go if you want to see like just not that they're the greatest videos in the world, but they show the realm of possibilities of what you can do with these things. The quality and, of the video. Well, the photography aspect of the video is just beautiful. But uh, Chase Jarvis has uh, one that the one we were looking at was the one that he did with the D7000. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is pretty damn cool. And they did some wild stuff like, uh, you know, rig the camera into a toy helicopter and things like that, which was really neat. Yeah, put and, it on a crane and fly it around just like you would a, a big camera. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then then uh, the other guy who does a lot of stuff, and it, our listeners probably know these already, and you've probably seen them, but uh, Vincent LaFerre, who started his career as a photographer at the New York Times and uh, has moved on to a solo freelance career. And he's kind of become known for his Canon's guy for shooting video. And he's got two that he did. There was a 5D video that he did called Reverie, and then there was another one that's more recent that I can't think of the name of. But uh, anyway, just to see what the possibilities that the cameras can do. And like I said, as, as directors of photography, these guys are very good. Um, yeah. You're just not going to see great story and great video, you know, and things like that. But um, but they're pretty. No, it's not. It's not a Hollywood production. But this was a camera. Chase Jarvis, if you're not familiar with him, is a commercial photographer. Um, is he out of Seattle or yeah. L.A. or yeah, uh, Seattle? Seattle. Yeah. And um, what is great about him is he's very linked into um, no no pun intended, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's very linked into social networking and. Um, so you know he he he's on Twitter all the time. He's on uh, he has his own blog, um, which you can go to all the time. And, and he's constantly taking you behind the scenes of a professional photo yeah. shoot or the production afterwards. So usually you would have to work in a place like this to get the the inside details of what goes on behind the scenes at, at professional commercial shoots and things like this. And he takes you back there. And he, and so that's why Nikon he shoots I think with all Nikon stuff. And Nikon gave him this new D seven thousand and said go to town with it. Shoot shoot it up, shoot still, shoot video, bring it back to us, and then that's what we're going to promote the camera with. And that's what he did. And so we'll put a link up um, sure. to show you these, these videos. There's behind the scenes of how they kind of made the video, and then there's the actual video, which I think they called uh, Benevolent Mischief or something, or, or whatever. Right, right. It's kind of like a little short movie or something. But mainly what you're looking at there is the video quality uh, of the camera, and, and the, of course, the, the still you know, quality of the camera is just amazing as, as usual. Oh, yeah. So, well, and I think one of the things I'm most impressed with Chase Jarvis's work is he's such a master marketer, and I mean that in a great way. I mean, yeah. it's just like he draws you into his world, and he's constantly doing, like you said, these behind-the-scenes things. And I think what you know our listeners could take away from this, certainly what I take away, is that you know it's important to do those things. Even if you're not wanting to do a lot of video, using video as a tool to show people what it is that you do is such a strong thing. And it's so easy now. You know, yeah. uh, you could shoot on these these cameras, the, the little handheld camcorders that are inexpensive, that do a better job at panning and all this stuff. You could mix the two. I do all the time. I have a little Canon HV30 that I use. And... Um, you know, they well. I do my other podcast using that, my five D, and and it's it, the other thing. I you know, I got the new iLife, the new Apple iLife, the other night, mm-hmm. 
And I'm just like, I didn't have the problem that everybody's reporting where you install it and it deletes all your libraries. But I also don't use iPhoto for professional capacity, so I don't have any libraries in there that are, you know, of interest to me to keep. Right. But, uh, but they kept. Um, and what's amazing to me is like, you know, there's some complaints, but I mean, for $50 and you can get an, a video editor that's pretty damn good, it's not going to do everything. But for people who just want to put together some video uh, or, or iPhoto where you want to go in and make some basic color adjustments and be done with it uh, it's just amazing at what you can do you know i mean there's yeah, other oh, it, it, too. they're absolutely amazing i've been working with iMovie for years now and i've been able to put together hour-long movies with ken burns effects and sure. all kinds of different transitions and and uh, you can put subtitles and all kinds of things like that in there and music and i mean uh you know you're limited at a certain point like a very professional point but it's uh it's as professional as you can get and and, and still be very user-friendly it's limited on the customization level like you know right. you'll have subtitles or effects and stuff and all of a sudden you want to do something that's radically different than what iMovie will provide uh, no, and same with iPhoto if you want yeah. to make drastic image adjustments or you know you can't do a curves layer in there or you know um, th- if you're at that point then you I mean I use fi- I'll, I'll put it in my context I use Final Cut Pro because I need to do those things for, mm-hmm. for videos that I produce um, however there's a lot of video work especially just like goofing around and you know personal movies and stuff like that that I do in iMovie just because I don't need those things and I'll be done with the project before I've even got it set up in Final Cut <laughs> you know? right and so yeah it, it's like it's iPhoto to Photoshop you know it's pretty it's, much yeah, it, yeah it, iMovie to Final Cut Pro it, yeah. it's kind of the same thing yeah um, it's pretty you can amazing do, you can do a lot there and you can do it really fast and you can do it really easy which is the cool thing about it and get very professional looking just not very customizable results even GarageBand the way they fold that in you can be a non-musician and go out there and throw some uh, loops together and create a little soundtrack that's yeah. original unique um, yeah you didn't have the ultimate control in it, but for somebody who's not a musician, they may not want that, you know, or need it. Yeah, you can pretty much watch the tutorial and then go to work. Yeah, it's amazing. And for it's fifty unique. bucks is what it costs. I mean, it's just come on, people. It's ridiculous. Or it comes free if you buy a new computer. It's usually on there. But well, I'm gonna um, go buy a new computer then. <laughs> well, my point is, is that there's there's really, I mean, with all all the technology that's available to us, there, it eliminates excuses for not doing things. I think. Yeah. Um, which if you're are, making excuses for not doing things, it's not the software. No. Yeah. You got you got issues, brother. <laughs> it ain't your equipment. <laughs> it ain't it's your you. equipment. You're lazy. You're lazy. Well, and you know, it's interesting. I mean, we've talked about a lot in this episode, but I think it all wove together, you know, because you know, we were talking about a guy like Nick Brandt who and there are other people who do this too, who take you know, uh, advantage of a wide range of technologies that are available to them because they love photography and because they have a result in mind that they can get by using a lot of these things and cross-pollinating digital with, with analog. And, you know, I think that's what's most exciting to me from a technical standpoint of what is available to us today. Not so much how many megapixels are in the latest, you know, D6000, whatever. I mean, you know, uh, those are great too, um, but I don't I think for a lot of people that's good. their definition of technology is is, right. is that and it's so limited. No, great great photographers, great artists, great people. They don't make excuses and they don't complain all the right. time and they don't close their mind off to anything really because everything is you know at their disposal. So they're they're not like you know what I shoot with a Nikon and I only shoot digital and everyone else is an idiot or my favorite is the canon guys who only shoot l lenses right who cares 
and I will never touch digital because it's stupid. Well, what's ridiculous? I mean, well, th- this is say, brother, well, so. there's always been this, and even like before digital cameras, you know, with uh, there used to be, well, and still is to an extent, but an argument with Leica that Leica make these unique lenses that that can't be parallel. Well, show me two photos and tell me to guess which one was the Leica lens. I, you yeah. probably can't, and if you can, you're looking at it on such a macro level that's so beyond what's in the photograph. You might like the wrong photo. <laughs> you might might not like this photo. But seriously, <laughs> and it's you like, might like that one. It's if you're looking at those kinds of details, you're not a photographer, you're a technician. Yeah. And I'm not saying those details aren't important. And I'm also. Yeah, well, and there's also the the notion that, you know, we're saying keep your mind open to things. You're going to find things that you don't like, that don't have a use in your palette of, of right. craft. And that's okay, too, you know. Yeah, and different strokes for different folks. People sure. uh, like different things. I just say, you know, um, if, if someone is big time into something and it's not your thing, that's cool, but don't bash them. Right, you know, exactly. Because it is their thing, so. And if L lenses give you a big boner, then... Uh, well, then you probably don't even need to get married. You can just get in your room with a bunch of L lenses. Well, I know we're going to get comments now. That, that I, I think this one should be called "If L lenses give you a big boner." I'll lose you can that clean rating title. right off. The- <laughs> well, and I know I'm already going to get hate mail of, of uh, you don't understand the fine intricacies of of of, uh, of the L lens. It's like, give me a break, man! Wait, idiots! <laughs> you fools! How did you even get on this podcast? <laughs> Who let you talk? Who even let you on the internet? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Who let you on the internet? (laughs) Uh, We found a way, and we're going to keep talking. Whether you like it or not. (laughs) Should we go on? Should we finish? wrap this up with some picks of the week? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Picks of the week. Go for it. Because I'm not sure I've got one. Okay, well, I've got a few real quick I'm going to do. One, if you, uh, we've been talking about artists, and, and we started kind of back uh, early with Diane, uh, Deanne Arbus and other people. Um, they should tell you how to pronounce all their names in here because everyone seems to have a complicated name. Um, why can't everybody just be Wade Griffith? That's pretty easy. Yeah, hey. But anyway, you know, uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? But anyway, uh, if you want to learn about uh, photography through history, uh, this is something that everybody is – should be learning and that I'm still learning all the time and and it's just you know something you need to know. One great book is called a uh, Photo Box and it's actually a big book with uh, about 250 photographs. It goes through about 210 different photographers. It's about a 500 page book and it actually comes like in a little box that has a magnetic thing that you know clips around so it's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, it breaks it down into uh, types of photography like. Uh, war, portrait, nude, uh, travel, cities, art, fashion, still life, on and on and on. And it take and it takes you through. It, on one side of the page is the bio of the artist and a little bit more about them than even just their bio. And then on the right side of the page is one of their more famous photographs. And uh, it, so it's just very cool. Uh, yeah, you can, if, you're, if you're looking for a good way to just get into like the lit side of photography and know who's yeah. who, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that, that's it's just a great history lesson, um, and it instantly gives you a visual with the person that you can kind of connect that person to that visual from there on out and until you learn more about them. Another book that I picked up recently is kind of like a daily devotional, but for photography. Hmm. You put it on your bedside. It's called The Daily uh, Book of Photography. Simple enough name. Good God, and, you're a nerd. <laughs> 
I know. Sorry, man. I just had to float that out there. I know. But I, no, I, I don't mean to slam your pick. But I don't know what's happened to me, but thanks, well, I'm thanks. as nerdy as you are, so keep yeah, going. Things have changed. I used to be really cool. Um, 365 readings that teach, inspire, and entertain. So this is kind of cool for like if you're not a big reader, but maybe you. Uh, and there's a lot of people out there uh, that aren't big readers. They like pretty pictures, um, and you know, photographers would like pretty pictures more than reading, probably. So uh, this it, every day you can just open it up and and read like one quick thing, and it, it kind of breaks stuff down by uh, uh, the history of photography, famous photographers, portraits, sports and journalism, fashion and beauty. So the same kind of thing. And, but it doesn't just talk about uh, photographers. It might talk about Ann Gettys and who she was, and then it might talk about how to shoot sunsets on the next page. So hmm. another super cool book that you can just right, read. That's not bit. that nerdy. I like it. No, it is pretty cool. Most nerds and other people will go pick that up. And then the last one I wanted to mention, something I just talked to you about, is I watched this whole documentary on Sally Mann the other day, who is a oh, uh, yeah. photographer who is currently living. She shoots large format. Uh, she was um, kind of famous uh, or the, her first fame came when she sh- uh, spent about 10 years shooting her children in the nude a lot. Um, they live in the country. They're very hippie. She didn't see anything wrong with this. But when these prints went big time into into magazines and on walls of museums, people were uh, astounded. And, yeah, and it got pretty it, controversial. Yeah, it was pretty controversial that they just thought it was – some people called it child porn and things like this. I think a lot of the, the photos are very beautiful and artistically done, and her children obviously just ran around naked most of the time on this farm, and she had a camera, and she thought it was all pretty and beautiful and took pictures of them, and I think that's how most people would see it. But you know, it is controversial. She does the same thing with her husband who's a lawyer. There's tons of nude shots of him. Um, he even suffers from like a muscle disease, uh, and she's been documenting that as he's been losing muscle and things so she's just you know she uh, she also documents her entire uh life but this is kind of ties into a lot of the stuff that ted's been doing lately with the large format and even talking about wet plate because that's what she does even in the field so she's just large uh format she brings the wet plates back home and and does all that developing there at home and then um produces stuff from there i think she might even blow stuff up large uh, using a digital process but um Super interesting documentary. It's called What Remains, and uh, you can find that you know Netflix or rent it on whatever else or buy it on Amazon. Netflix so. is like our our constant. It's so amazing that they. It's got my all this source. Stuff. You might other places you might have to buy it or. or it's really hard to find these things at a, at a video store like Blockbuster that's super commercial, but you might have a local video store that has real obscure, uh, lots of documentary sections, something like that. Um, if, it, if you have a video store that's like that, you might be able to find it locally. Otherwise, you're going to have to buy something uh, like What Remains um, on Amazon or something like that. Yeah, but there are places to get it. Very cool. Yeah, so that's, that's my three. Very cool. Boy, you just like blazed I, me. You I know. Have three. I know I'm not going to have anything now for weeks. Um, my pick of the week, I actually, um, I'll, 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 well, since you did three, I'm going to do a follow up on one. Okay. And I will give you a new one. The follow up is I, I recommended the FG Positive paper a while right. back uh, that is available through freestyle.biz. And uh, if you go in there and just search positive paper, you can come up with it. Uh, and it's pretty interesting. And I've put some results of some photographs that I did on Flickr recently. It's very high contrast. So I think it works better for photograms than maybe it does for photos. I also, you can get it in sheets of four by five. So I loaded it into two of my pinhole cameras and went and shot some stuff off the roof the other morning. And it's amazing. You get the really high contrast, but there's pretty interesting pinhole images. And it's I a one of a kind. I saw that. Like one you had of a tax. 
Yeah, the tacks are. That's a photogram that I did. Yeah, photogram. Yeah, and those are on the positive paper, so I did not invert those in Photoshop. They're pretty, cool. pretty interesting. So anyway, I will report that the positive paper is awesome. So that was my pick. Um, the pick of the week this week that I'm going to do is 180 from analog paper, but uh, I'm going to talk about the new iLife. Um, I recommend it. I think it's cool. For 50 bucks from Apple, if you're on a Mac, you can grab iLife. And it's got the new iPhoto in it, and it's got uh, iMovie and also Do you know what, what version that is? It's iLife 11. That's okay. what they're calling it, 2011. Mm-hmm. just came out this week. Um, in a little bit of messing around in there, and I am familiar with the previous versions of, of – I'm going to talk about iPhoto specifically since this is a photography show. Mm-hmm. Uh, iPhoto is interesting, and it's – I think if you want it to be a library program and that you're a little more professional, I would use Lightroom or I would use Aperture or I would use um, the expression thing that Microsoft uses if you really have a lot of data. Uh, But having said that, um, there are certain things, and we were talking about a minute ago with iMovie versus Final Cut, where you have to consider your time involved with things. And I think Mm -hmm. iMovie has a place uh, in all of our software libraries for that. And just like Final Cut, where I need that for for big projects that are real powerful, but for little just goofing around things I've done with my nephew, I use iMovie for that because it's fast, it's easy, and it gets a result quickly, and your time is worth something. I think iPhoto is real similar to that. If you just have family snapshots and things, you want to go in and do some basic levels adjustments, nothing that's going to be real too over the top, uh, and have all that in one place. I think that uh, that iPhoto is really excelling on that. An interesting thing that Apple is toting on this, and again, this kind of goes in with what we're talking about with this wide range of technology throughout history that's still available is, you know, they've always had the thing where you can go make books and cards in there. And they mm-hmm. now have a deal in there where you can get letterpress cards that they're making. Oh, wow. And they're actually using, I guess they've got a little team of people that are doing real letterpress. And they get your stuff and they print the photo on it, but then they go get on the letterpress and they do all the embossing and the, the that is cool. wood cutouts and stuff. Yeah, the only complaint that I have about it is there's only a very limited amount of designs, and it's probably because this is new. Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to be all either baby announcements or wedding invitations. Um or very Boo. frilly variations on the two. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not getting married anytime soon. I'm not having kids, so I don't need any of those, you know, um, or Christmas cards. But uh, but they are really neat, and I think if this takes off, it would be interesting to see where Apple goes with this. And what I think they're introducing is something that is a handcrafted technology into what they're doing with all the digital stuff. So I, I just find it interesting. It's yeah, maybe it's not like what you were talking about earlier with you taking the digital thing and going to the film realm. They're sure. kind of doing the same thing, and the end product doesn't look like doesn't look so digital. Yeah, with a greeting card now you know yeah if you're not familiar with what letterpress is it's an old printing press technique where people would basically set up a plate and the plate would contain like lead letters for for text and it would contain maybe blocks for graphics so you know like a linotype print cut and it would literally you'd ink these up and it would press it into the paper and so you not only got the ink onto the paper cleanly but you've got these kind of interesting indentations into the paper and mm-hmm. an embossing technique things like that so anyway really cool stuff and uh it's available now in iLife and i do recommend it i think for certain things that uh, iPhoto is certainly gets the job done quicker than a lot of other things you know yeah i use iPhoto a lot as a library, as a storage sure. place sometimes, especially when I'm putting together an iMovie project. Mm-hmm. They work together so seamlessly. Yep. Like that when you're in iMovie, you can instantly go over to your iPhoto tab and see all the pictures that you have in iPhoto and then quickly and easily drag and drop them in to your your movie or your documentary or, or your slideshow or whatever you're making very easily, much more easily than if they were in a folder or something somewhere. So well, I'll do a lot of 
that's where Apple's excelled with that because you know you have even though you're in one application, you have access to data that you've done in another, and that that that's right there. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's that's reason enough to want to get into this at least out of curiosity. You know. Yeah, that's why iLife is such a cool package because all of the uh, the everything that comes in there, including GarageBand and everything else, they all work together seamlessly. Uh, that you could record and mix some music of your own or whatever, and then and then bring that into your iMovie, and then br- go to iPhoto and bring in your photos and um, all this stuff. So I'll even like edit all my stuff in Lightroom or in Photoshop, put those all in a folder, and then bring that folder into into iPhoto, and mm-hmm. and then go from there. Do all my editing somewhere else, a little bit more professional, then bring them into iPhoto. Uh, so that they're all in, in one place, and you know, categorized and all this kind of stuff for for efficiency. And then it's, it's also a great program for like emailing things out. Yeah. You want to you want to email a bunch of pictures out, uh, kind of at a low res resolution uh, email format, really quick. If you just quickly drag big Photoshop files into uh, into iPhoto and then you know say email uh, low res or you know small medium or large version whatever it does that so much quicker than you could ever you know take the time to, to go and do that in Photoshop and get them ready so oh yeah one other thing that it'll do that's new related to that is I think it well I haven't tried it yet but it does HTML email templates too so you can do color oh, backgrounds and yeah it's very cool yeah it just it's makes everything faster and easier yeah yeah it, what that's what's so cool about technology I think is that yeah. there's all these possibilities and variations that we're talking about, you know, that you could use it for one little tiny thing if you want, or you could use it as your main thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've seen nothing but tweets since iLife came out about people bitching because it destroyed a photo library. First of all, why didn't you back up? Second of right. all, it's new software. Things like that happen. But I'd, I'd rather not complain about things and just, just jump into it and find a use for it if it yeah. works for me, you know. Yeah. May not obviously, always, obviously, most of the time they test this stuff, you know, uh, pretty thoroughly, yeah. and it's not going to work across all platforms. Or you may have an older computer or whatever. There's going to be glitches, yeah. uh, so you got to be ready for that stuff. Oh, yeah. So yeah, back up. Oh back yeah, back up. up. So when that happens, <laughs> you're not pulling your hair out. If you have, well, actually, there's a. We'll do this in another podcast. I'll just mention it briefly. There's a there's a book, and I can't remember the author's name right now, but it's called the Damn Book, the Digital Asset Management <laughs> Book, and it's extremely good. And and their theory in there, if you're not familiar with it, is they they say that if you don't have three different they have a three two one formula and if you don't have three copies of a file it doesn't exist because mm-hmm. you're just one hard drive crash away from losing it permanently and so the three two one basically means you have three copies of a file uh two of those are on different mediums and one of those is in a separate location so you have your images let's say you have uh three copies of an image and they're all in different locations two of them are on different media so maybe one of them's on a hard drive the other one's on a dvd or online or something like that and then the third is one of them needs to be in a different location so take that dvd and go store it in your office that way so you, you could back up something to a hard, external hard drive you could burn a disc of, yeah. of the images and you could upload them to dropbox sure and if you've yeah. got them actually dropbox solves a lot of it you're just limited on space but um even if you buy the biggest package, it's only 50 yeah, gigabytes. Yeah, 50 gigabytes, right. Uh, but you have those in separate locations. That way, if there was an earthquake or a fire or something like that, you're still not going to lose things, things that exceed a hard drive crash or a DVD failing. Right, uh, right now, anyway. when I come home from a photo shoot, I have stuff that's on my chip. Uh, put it into my computer. It's on my computer then, but I don't erase the chip yet. Um, then I transfer it to two different hard drives. One's my working hard drive and one's my backup hard drive. Smart. Uh, once it's on all three and I've imported it into Lightroom, now it's on my computer. It's on two hard drives. Then if I, as I go to my next shoot, I may erase that chip now that it's on three different things. But still, that's, that's if this room were to burn, uh, they would all go down. 
<laughs> well, you just but, need to get it. But I also, I also back stuff up to uh, the final product is backed up on Dropbox and Flickr. So, uh, the best photos are on Flickr, and then everything's on Dropbox. So you just I need would. to get a, uh, a another location, and you got it. Yeah. Yeah, or Dropbox will because it's in the cloud. So Yeah. It's yeah. in the cloud. It's in, the it's, cloud. In the, it's in outer space. You can't get it. Well, that probably is a whole lecture under itself, the uh, backing up time. stuff. And it's tedious. It's boring. Nobody wants to do it. But, boy, you're sure bummed when you lose. And I've done it the hard way. Yeah, I've lost stuff before, and then I, I and I cried for several days, and then I slapped myself and, and came yeah. out of the alcoholism and said, Wade, do yourself <laughs> together. They were just pictures. Well, they're pictures, but, yeah, I mean uh, – I th- I think and you know, again we're changing the subject. I think we're going to be in trouble one day because I, I think that you know my family and I think I've said this on here before, but but you know when we were growing up, my picture my parents have boxes of photos, hard copy photos, right? And you know those you could lose to fire. I'm sure you could lose them. I mean there's there's ways you could do, it, but we still have a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think you're dealing with people who are putting everything in iPhoto or hard drive. You're dealing with people like no offense to them, but my parents who don't know how to back up they. They, they don't understand that. They're not going to. Um, and they lose a hard drive. You could lose several years. You could lose your child's childhood, you know? I mean. Yeah, you don't want to lose your childhood. Visu- visually, anyway. I mean, you know, yeah, seriously, well, you're going to lose some Even photos. if you're just common Joe who's just doing Microsoft Word stuff at home, this doesn't even have to be photography related, have two hard drives and have one backing up the other all the and time. if you don't know how to do it, learn how to find a backup solution software or something that does it automatically or whatever you have to do. Learn it. You know. It's pretty easy. It, you know, there's all these things that make it easier. But even if you just drag the files from the one hard drive mm-hmm. over to the other hard drive on a, like a weekly basis, better than that, that would be good enough. Yeah. Um, and then if you can do something more advanced, then great. But, I mean, that's pretty simple. So. Learn how to do something. I mean, you're going to have a whole generation of people that are just missing photos from when they were kids, I think. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless, unless they were happen to be on Flickr or Facebook or something. Hey, we warned them, Ted. Yep, we did. But did they listen? Duty. No. <laughs> I think that's all we got for today, though. I've got yes. to get in a car and go to Austin. All right, have fun. I will. I'm doing a uh, an HDSLR video workshop. So that's that's cool. That's gonna be yeah, fun. It'll be fun. I'm looking forward to. I'm not looking forward to a three hour drive, but I'm looking forward to the rest. So. Oh, I would be sleepy. Yeah, I usually have to do a little of that five hour energy. Yeah, thing. I have like a coffee, a couple of Red Bulls, pop some. Well, it's Mickey's. a fine line. The Red Bull does pretty well because those are small, but it's a fine line because if I if I drink too much liquid, then you're stopping yeah. to go to the bathroom too much, and it takes right. more than three hours to get there. Yeah, you're like, how tiny is my bladder? Oh, yeah, I drank five coffees. Yeah, it's not uh, not good for you. <laughs> but the little five-hour energy, you know, it comes in that little vial. Wig like you those. out. It doesn't make yeah. you pee. It's awesome. Yeah. But anyway. All right, dude. Drug it up. All right, man. Well, we'll catch everybody next week. Once again, this has been The Photography Show, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.